Okay, we start. Good. How are you? Good evening, everyone. So we began the uh, the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus, this week, and uh, this Shabbat we read Parashat Shemot, and Parashat Shemot in this uh, in this parasha we read about the birth of Moses. And the Torah describes how Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses was saved from the Nile by none other than the daughter of Pharaoh. Her name is Batya. I'm going to try to examine and see. So one, one of the things I had done earlier in the year was I tried to look at, so to say, characters in the, in the Torah that are supporting, supporting actors, actresses, whatever we want to call them. So... Uh, I want to look to, tonight at Batya, at the, 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 the adopted mother of, of Moses. So we read in the Perasha, Vayelech ish mi bet Levi, and a man went from the house of Levi, Vayikach et bat Levi, and he talk, took the daughter of Levi. So we know that this is talking about the parents of Moses, and it's interesting that really in the, in the rest of the Torah we don't see, we see someone's born. We don't see the story of their birth. We don't speak specifically the father and the specifically the mother. And some of the rabbis say that one of the reasons we do this is to push out any theory of uh, immaculate conception, so to say. Moses is like everybody else. He has a mother, he has a father, he's born, period. But why, why don't they mention any names at the beginning? Yeah, so it's interesting they don't, so they just say it's just a person. But, but I think that could be it, that it's just a person, just like anybody else. Mm. So his father is Amram. His father is the grandson of Levi. And it, it appears that his father marries his aunt. The father married, the, Moses' father marries his own father's sister. So he marries his aunt. Now the, the rabbis tell us that they were married and they separated from each other because of the decree to, throw, to kill all the baby boys. So they said, what's it going to help to bring a child into the world? that this is just going to be his end. So they decided to separate from one another. And their daughter came to them at five years old. And she said, you're worse than Pharaoh, Miriam. Miriam. He says, because he only wants to kill the boys. You want to make sure nobody lives by not having any children. And so they make a big ceremony and they get back together. They get married and they, she gets pregnant. But Teled Ben, she gives birth to a son. She sees him, that he's good. Every mother sees his child, right? Mother sees the child is good. So the question, what does it mean good? So the, the rabbis write that you saw his, the special aspect of his soul. This is, he brought light into the whole house. Then the next part is even stranger. She hides him for three months. And the question there, why does she hide him for three months? What does three months have to do with the man in the moon? And the, the rabbis again explain, they suggest that perhaps she hid him for three months because she gave birth early. She gave birth at the end of her sixth month. Mm -hmm. And the police knew she was due at a certain time. So she had three months to hide him. That's one of the suggestions that Rashi brings. But let's see if there's something better. And she was not able to hide him. So what does she do? Now this is for me even stranger. She takes him, Tevat Gomer. 
So she, she takes a straw basket and she puts pitch and clay on the outside of the basket and she puts him in the basket. She places the boy within the basket. And she puts it in the reeds on the side of the river, on the river front. So here again is a question. Why is she doing that? If she wants to hide her child or save her child, she should try to figure out a way to smuggle him out of the country. Why specifically does she wait three months and then she's no longer able to hide him? And instead of doing anything with him, she puts him exactly where they want to put him. By the river, in a basket. And now this, his sister goes to watch to see what's going to happen and she's standing aside. And just so happens, coincidentally, at that moment, bat paro, the daughter of Paro comes, lirchotz al hayeor, to wash on the river. Now there's also strange wording because lirchotz al hayeor, to wash on the river, would be lirchotz bayeor, in the river, not on the river. Also, when you're going to go to the river, you're generally going to go to the, to the, to the same place he would have been, al-sifat hayeor, on the, shore, on the shoreline. You're going to go, it should say she went to, to go on the shoreline or within the river. Instead, it says she's on the river. Strange, strange words. Then and her, her handmaidens go in front of her, on the side of the river. And she sees this teva, which is an interesting word, because teva is the word we use for Noah, Noah and the ark, in the teva. So we call this a teva also. Betochasuf, within the, the reeds. Batishlachet amata, and she stretches forth her arm, or she sends her servant. Batikacheha, and she takes the basket. Batiftach, and she opens the basket. And she sees Ed Hayelet. There's a boy. And there's a boy crying. And she feels bad for it. And she says, This is from the Jewish children. So some of the rabbis ask, she should have seen as soon as she opened the basket, this is, from the, this is a Jewish kid. That should have been the first part. And then to see if she's going to feel bad for it. Because they created the culture, really everyone was required to do what? To kill, no, everyone in Egypt was required to kill every boy. Her own father issues this edict, and everyone has to kill every boy. So what does she do? She doesn't first recognize that it's only after she feels bad for it, and he's crying, does she say that it's a Jewish boy. So, again, why, why the reversal in the, in the language they bring? So it, it seems here, we see that, that God is pulling whatever strings to create this coincidence, that of everyone in the country, it's the daughter of Parah who's going down to bathe in the, in the river at that, that time. So remember we said, every, every boy that's born, you should throw him into the river. That was what was done. Every baby boy, the Egyptian... Police came and took and threw in the river. So the the uh, the rabbis bring it says here we could begin to shed light. So there's a there's a, a commentary by the Tiferet Uziel, and he says every son that will be born into the river shall you throw him. Why did Paro why did he wish to kill every child specifically 
through the Nile. What was it about the Nile that he decided that that's the way to kill the children? Why couldn't he come up with another way? Just suffocate them when they're... Why throw them in the Nile? So he says that the Egyptian people looked at the Nile as a god, as a deity. Other countries survived by rain, but Egypt, they survived, their crops grow, because the Nile overflows. Specifically, the, the, the banks of the Nile overflow. So they worshipped the Nile as a god, and that Nile supplied them with all of their daily needs. It says that, we say that, that later on, when the plagues come, what's the first plague? So Hashem says, and we read in the Haggadah, that Hashem took out His wrath against the people and their gods. The first plague later on in Egypt is, take the water from the river, and the river turns to? Blood. The second plague is, the frogs coming from the river. To show that the river, in fact, is ruled by God, because the Egyptians all believed the river was a god. He goes further, and he says, not only did they look at the river as a god, According to the Teferet Uziel, he says, not only did he say that you should throw them into the river because he wanted to kill them, he wanted to throw them into the river even if they didn't die. He says, that why? Because the river was the, was the, was the tum'ah, the, uh, the uncleanliness, the impurity of Egypt was associated with the Nile. So if the, if, the, if the impurity of Egypt is associated with the god of Egypt, which is the Nile, then every boy you throw into the river, what happens? He is contaminated by the impurity of the Nile. So he said that even if they don't die, they're completely contaminated and they have no kedusha, they have no holiness. What was Paro worried about? He was worried about the holiness of the Jewish people. So if you figure out a way to get rid of the holiness of the Jewish people by putting every boy into the river, that's what he would do. So he said, even if Moshe went into the river and he was saved, once he went into the river, he would lose his holiness and that would be the end of it. So he says that Paro, therefore that's why later on, Paro doesn't kill Moshe. Remember, his daughter brings the kid home. And says, Dad, this is my son. Where'd you get him? I got him from the Nile. Who is he? He's a Hebrew. What do you mean? Everyone should be killed. Why doesn't he kill Moses? He should have killed him. He says, no. Once he went into the river, he felt that he nullified his holiness and we don't have to worry about him. And we'll see also, we're going to see that once Moses goes into the river, no other boys get thrown into the river. Because he reasons that if Moshe was a Jewish child, he could no longer become the the, the savior, the Mashiach, after having been defiled by the Nile. But his scheme was foiled. How? Says that Yocheved, by taking the basket and doing what she did with the basket, with the clay and pitch, she basically created some spiritual force field. The clay creates a force field to protect him from being contaminated. So he says. So he says. He goes further, and he says. He says, ah, because Paro, he says, he feared the Jewish people. He says, Vayomer el Amo, he says to his people, Hineam b'nei Israel, behold, here is the nation of Israel. Rab ve'asumimenu, they're greater than us. Could they really have been greater in numbers than the Egyptians? Highly unlikely. 
He says, He says, let us deal wisely with them. How to deal wisely with them? Take away their strength. Take away the Kedushah. And therefore he says, Every boy you should throw into the river. But what did, his, what did, what did Yochevet see? It says, She saw the boy, because he was good. What was he good? Rashi writes, when he was born, the entire house was filled with light. The knowledge, this knowledge prompted her to place him in the basket and specifically place him on the Nile. Because she knew that her son had some special soul, whatever it was, that would be able to nullify, nullify the impurity of the Nile. And therefore she's going to place her son on the Nile. So this explains why she chose to play the bas- place the basket on, among the reeds on the bank of the river because the, the, the greatest part of the tumah of the river, of the impurity of the river, was the banks. Why? Because that's where the river overflowed. And that's where they praised it and that's where they worshipped it. So by placing it there, he was able to nullify the negative force of the river. But then the question is this. If she sees her kid is born... And this kid fills the house with light. And she's going to take her baby and use her baby to nullify the power of the river. So why doesn't she take him when he's two days old? Or a week old? Why does she wait specifically three months? What is it about three months that she takes him on three months to place him there? So the Gemara and Sotah tells us, that if Moses was born, we believe Moses was born on the seventh day of Adar. The seventh day of Adar, which comes out in, say, February. Imagine it now, it's February 7th. So you go forward three months, March, April, May. What is three months after the seventh of Adar? It's the sixth day of Sivan. What's the sixth day of Sivan? The sixth day of Sivan is the day of Matan Torah, of the giving of the Torah, of giving of the Ten Commandments. So she calculated what better day to take my son, because I'm definitely putting him at risk no matter what, and put him by the banks of the river in order to nullify the negative force of the Yeor. So it says, Rabbi Acha Bar Hanina Amar, that day that she put him by the river, Shisha Sivan Haya, it was the sixth of Sivan. The angels in, in heaven, they said, in front of God, create master of the universe. The one who will receive the Torah on Mount Sinai. On this day, you're going to allow him to be destroyed on this day? So she specifically put him on that day so the angels should stand up in heaven to defend him. But, I mean, did she know that Matan Torah would be on, on, on such a day? Or did the universe conform? So it could be one or the other, but I believe, according to, according to what the Gemara is stating, she knew that the 6th of, of Sivan is some special day. No matter what, so the, the Jewish holidays, one of the things we have is they say that the Avot celebrated the holidays even before they were holidays. So how do you celebrate Passover before the Exodus? 
how do you celebrate Shavuot, Matan, the giving of the Torah, before Matan Torah? Because those days have within them a special energy. And she must have realized that that energy associated with that day is related to her son. Well, also, like, what, in other words, why is she, first of all, it seems as though she has these, like, kind of spiritual qualities and, like, quote, power. Mm-hmm. So we are introduced, I mean, we are introduced to her as a female character with, with a significant amount of power. Of power. The mother. Yeah. The so mother. so what, what I found most interesting is when we begin this whole portion, we have three stories that begin the portion. The first story we have is that the Pharaoh comes to the midwives and tells the midwives, I want you to kill all the, bo- babe, all the boys. And they basically say no. The next story we have is that the, the Jewish people separate husband and wife and Miriam, the daughter, comes and rebukes them. And once her parents get back together, all the others get back together. And the third story we have is Batya going against her father's will and taking the child from the water. So it's almost, you know, I, I think it's female power. It's, it's, it's female power. And I think it's, it's what's, what to me is amazing is the beginning of the book of Exodus of Shemot contrasts with the beginning of the book of Bereshit of Genesis. Because there, Chava, Eve, succumbs to the snake and goes along with the snake. Here, we can go along, we can, what is it when you have group think? You know, right? Group think, they call it. So you could go along with group think. What do you mean? We're not going to rebel. We're not going to do whatever. No one, everyone's separated. Why should a little girl come and say, Pharaoh tells you to do what you're supposed to do. You're going you're gonna to rebel against Pharaoh? His own daughter. So you see that, that, that I think the way the book of Exodus begins is that a person has to do what they, have, what they, what they need to do when they do it. And then we go into th- the stories of Moses. We have then immediately three stories of Moses. One is he sees an Egyptian beating a Jew. And what does he do? He jumps in. Then we see he sees a Jew fighting with another Jew. And what does he do? He jumps in. And then when he gets to Midian, he sees the shepherds harassing the daughters of Yitro. And he jumps in. So we see that I think the, the beginning is where, where in, in, Gen, in Bereshit, the people are passive, the Adam and Eve are passive and going along with the snake and not doing what they're supposed to do, right? They rebel against God. Here, everyone's rebelling against uh, an unjust force. Right, and she's not, I mean, his, the daughter of Pharaoh also is a heroine. She's not Jewish. She's the, she's the most amazing, to me, the most amazing character. And that's why, that's why I wanted to develop who she is. So the Gemara says, oh, we said the six days. So we see that, he says that the ministering angels were arguing upstairs and saying, how could you let Moses die on this day, the day he's going to give the Torah? So he says, furthermore, how do we see that him going into the Nile was, was something that, that had to do with destroying the gods of Egypt? Because we're referring here to the Ten Commandments that will be given on this day. And the first commandment is, Anochi Hashem Elokech, I am God your God. Asher Hoseticha Me'eretz Mitzrayim. So I'm God, your God, who took you out of Egypt. I, I shattered the forces of Tumah, the forces of impurity that were holding you within Egypt, that were not allowing you to leave. So this was the beginning of it, of Moses going into the water. And the second commandment is what? 
Don't have other gods before you. So all of that relates to, to this, this idea of, of, uh, of, what's it called, of uh, putting him in. So he says, so she hid him for three months, and now we understand why did she wait for the three months. She's the daughter of Levi. She's the granddaughter of Jacob. So maybe that's another thing. She's at the level, the, the highest level, right? The, as the generations go down, she's at the highest level probably of anyone alive at the time. So she's the daughter of Levi. There's no, none of her aunts and uncles are alive. Her father's not alive. He's already dead for a while. She's still there. So he goes further. He says, from this she, she understood that she hid him for three months and that was the specific reason. We find that on the very same day that Yochevet placed Moshe in the Nile, so Paro decreed so it's, he, he, his, his decree that he said, Kol haben, every boy should be thrown into the Nile, was repealed. So what happened? So according to this rabbi, he says the reason he repealed, he took back this edict. There's two reasons. One reason, the rabbis say, which Rashi brings, is that once Moses went into the water, the astrologers, Rabbi Shimon, he says that, that what happened, the astrologers saw that the boy, the Savior, went into the water. So once the astrologers saw the Savior went into the water, there was no reason to throw any other boys into the water. So why would she take her own son and put him in the water so that every other boy could be saved? The second reason, they say, is he stopped throwing them in the water because he saw that the Nile lost its power. The Nile lost its power of Tumah. Of, of so for some reason, the, the Nile lost its power of it's negative force. So, Says, some, so there's something, something about all the pitch and the clay that... Uh, so that, that's one of the reasons. He brings the pitch and the clay protected him in such a way. And, the, and, and it's interesting that we use the word teva, ark. So teva is also the ark that Noah went into. Noah goes pitch, into the ark. Pitch, he used it on the pitch. inside and the outside. And remember the waters were... you know, was, They basically created a world outside the world where they were protected. So the same way that Noah's Ark protected everyone in the Ark, this little Teva protected Moses in the Ark. We're going to see also why Noah and Moses, which is another interesting thing. So we go further, it says, the, the daughter of Paroah. So let's examine what she's doing and why is she going to the river. The daughter of Paroah goes to wash on the river. And she sees the ark and she takes it out like we read. Concerning these events, the Gemara and Megillah says, She goes down to, to wash on the river. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, She went to cleanse herself from the impurities of her father's house. She specifically went to the river with a purpose. She wanted to wash away the impurities of her father's house. Says the Gemara, how do we know that, uh, how do we know, how do we define a Baal Teshuvah who repents? He says, when someone has an opportunity to do the, a sin on multiple occasions, and the second time it faces them, they go right at it, and they, and, or it says specifically, if a, if a man is with a woman, and he sins with the woman, the next time, how do you know he's done, repent, has he's repented? The next time he's in the same place with the same person under the same circumstances, he doesn't sin. 
says, this might explain why she's going down to the, the Nile to cleanse herself from idolatry. Why? The Nile is the place of idolatry. The Nile is the place where they went to worship. She's specifically going to the Nile to go against the Nile and to rid herself of that impurity. Goes further. The rabbis say that several times she had tried this. She went down to the Nile. She tried to rid herself of the impurity that was Egypt. Now, remember, Egypt is this place of black magic and all of these things that, that we don't understand, the spiritual contamination. So she's trying to go rid herself of the spiritual contamination. And what happens? What happens? She goes and she, she goes into the river time after time and she comes out. She feels the same. But this time, she goes into the river and she goes into the water and she feels something happened. Something changed. The impurities are lifted from her. She's clean, so to say, spiritually. So now she doesn't understand. Now this is the 6th of Sivan, the day the Jewish people will receive the Torah. But she's trying to understand what power subdued the Nile. So she starts to look around. Is there something different today that wasn't there before? And all of a sudden, she sees on the side in the reeds a basket. So she knew from the get-go. So she says, what I see here is something that's changed everything. And she goes, so she, she, she then, so then the pasuk says, it says, or she goes and says, and she sees the teva, this, this basket, in the, in the suf. She sends forth either her hand or her servant, and she took it. She opens it, she sees the child, and she takes pity on it. She says, behold, it's one of the Hebrew boys. And she realizes, since he's the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now remember in Egypt, they had the stories of Abraham and Sarah coming to Egypt, and Pharaoh tried to sleep with her. And they, they had the stories of, of what happened in the past. They have the stories of Joseph. They try to forget Joseph, but they still, some people are going to know who he is. So they re, she realizes that this boy must have had some power to cleanse her of her, of her feeling of impurity. But she wanted that. In other words, she was also... That was her intent. She felt that her father's house was putting this... She's in the house of, so to say, the devil. She feels that evil within her. She wants to rid herself of the evil. She's rebelling. Maybe she was a teen, right? So, so she wants to rid herself of the evil. Now what happens is, she sees the boy, and the boy is the source of her kedushah, of her ridding herself of this evil. So she's worried now, how am I going to maintain this feeling that I have if I'm on my own? Especially if I go back to my father's house. So she says, the only way I can is if I take my good luck charm with me. And therefore, she wants to take the baby. So she comes up with a plan to raise the child in her own, her own home. So once, once he's weaned, 24 months, he comes back to live with her, and he grows up in the palace with her. She becomes his mother, to the point where the rabbis tell us that Moses has, I think it was seven different names. One, mother, his, one name his father gave him, Avigdor, one name his mother, one, all these different names that he had on his, 
birth certificate, it said one thing. On his passport, it said something else. In his uh, bris, they got another name, whatever. It says, but which name does he have? Which name do we call him by? Moshe, Moses. Who named him Moshe? Batya, the daughter of Parah. She was, in essence, his mother. Anyone who raises an orphan as his own child or her own child is considered as the, the parent. So let's keep going. So Moshe seems to be, Rashi writes about it, it seems to be, no, it's the drawing from the water. She says, she calls him Moshe because I drew him from the water. In Hebrew, it doesn't mean drawing from the water. It seems to be Aramaic root. Rashi brings that, but maybe it was an Egyptian name. And she gives him this Egyptian name, which means drawing from the water. And, and was Batya an Egyptian name? No, so we Egyptian? give Batya her name. So we'll see where we give her Batya. Yeah, Batya, what does it mean, Batya? Batka, bat, the daughter of God. The daughter of Paro becomes the daughter of God. So, the, so he says, why did Batya, the daughter of Paro, specifically merit to be the one to save Moshe Rabbeinu? Why her? Who was she? What was her soul that she comes? So the, the Arizal writes in Sefer HaGilgulim, the, he writes in the book of reincarnation, the Arizal is Rav Isaac Gloria. He writes, Batya, he Gilgul Chava. Batya was the reincarnation of Eve. He says, Velefi Shechava, he Yetzir Kapav Shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And since Chava was the only one, her and her husband were the were the Yetzir Kapav, the formed from the hand of God, right? And therefore now she's the only one who could be called daughter of God. Because who in fact could the only one, who could the only son of God be? Adam. And who could the only daughter of God be? Chava, Eve, because everyone else was born. They're the only people not born that God created them. It says, we also see something very interesting. I found something separate. In the Gemara Nida, we say, Vayitzer ha-Elohim et ha-Adam, and God formed man. In the word Vayitzer, that Hashem formed, the word is normally spelled Vav Yud Sadik Resh. For some reason in the Torah, it's spelled Vav Yud Yud Sadik Resh. Two Yuds. And the question is why? So the Gemara Nida says, that every person is born from a partnership of three people. Who's the three? So the father contributes five parts of the white, the mother contributes five parts of the red, and God contributes ten parts relating to the soul. So the father's five, the mother's five, and God is ten. In Hebrew, Yud stands for ten. In the case of Adam and Eve, there was no father giving five and no mother giving five. So in that case, it says yud yud. Why? Because God had to give ten and ten because everyone requires twenty parts. So the verse says, Vayitzar, he formed with twenty parts because they had no father and no mother. And therefore, they're the only ones who could be called child of God. Goes further. He says that we should realize so that Moshe resembles Adam. 
Now we said a number of times that Moses, Moshe, his name is Mem Shin He. Moses' soul was Hevel. Hevel, Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. Hevel. Hevel is killed by Cain. And 130 years later, Hevel comes back as Shet, Seth. So it says, the verse actually says that they had Shet, Seth, Tafat, Hevel, to replace Hevel. So the Ari says that the soul of Hevel, of Abel, went into Shet. Shet is the father of mankind because he's the great-great-grandfather of Noah, of Noah, and all of us are descendants of Noah. So Shet is our great-great-grandfather. Bring something else I saw very interesting. It says, what is the name Shet? He says, we have something called Evan Shtia. So he says, there's the foundation stone of the world. This foundation stone of the world was located in the, in the Bet HaMikdash. Today it's under the, the Dome of the Rock. That's why it's called the Dome of the Rock. This is supposedly the foundation stone of the world, Evan Shtia. The same way it's called Evan Shtia, this Shet is the foundation of the whole world. So Moses has the soul, Moshe, Mo, Moshe, Moses, Shin, Shet, Hey, Hevel. But he also has one other soul. He came back one other time, and that was as Noah. So we have, nesh, the word is Neshama. Neshama means soul. This is the main soul of the world. Nun for Noah, Shin for Shet, Mem for Moses, Hey for Hevel. That's that soul. So he says that Moses' soul encompassed all of mankind. Adam really encompassed all of mankind. And when Adam sinned, all of mankind that was within Adam was responsible for the sin. Moses' soul encompassed all the children of Israel. Every Israelite had a piece of their soul within Moses or a piece of Moses within their soul. So, so he says that the Arizal says, when it says, Vayakom Melech Hadash, when there was a new king that came over Egypt, he says, why did Hashem send Moshe Rabbeinu to take the Jews out of Egypt? He said, because all of these neshamot, all of these souls that were damaged by the sin of the tree of knowledge, reincarnated and ended up in Egypt. So we say that Adam had all of the souls. His son Shet could have fixed all of mankind, but he didn't. He was incapable. So he says that he comes back so that all of those people are born again in the time of Noah and the flood. In the time of Noah, had they, had they fought against evil, they would have fixed the sin of Adam and corrected mankind. Instead, they're all destroyed. It says they come back again, all of those souls, at the Tower of Babel, 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 and again they sin to try to rebel against God. And they, have get, they get dispersed, destroyed, and they come back one more time as the people of Sodom, where again they have an opportunity of wealth, prosperity, everything you could want, and instead of sharing and caring, they throw out all of the strangers, they don't take care of guests, they're destroyed, and they get one more time to fix everything, but this time it's not going to be so easy, they all get dumped into Egypt. So they're all in Egypt and they're going through the suffering in Egypt. Why are they building in Egypt with bricks? Because they sinned by building the tower with bricks. All of the things that happened to them in Egypt relates to the previous reincarnations that they had. That's what he brings. So he says that 
Now Moses specifically comes to save them because his soul is related to all of their souls. So now we have Moses' soul. It's related to, to Shet. Now more interesting is this. It says that, 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 uh, that one of the things we spoke about was that when we, when we spoke about Noah this year was that Noah, Noah when, when, when Noah comes out of the ark, Noah sees what happened. And he's totally depressed. And he brings a sacrifice. He offers a sacrifice. And he says to God, please, don't do this again. And God promises. He brings the rainbow. And he promises he'll never do it again. But that makes Noah even more depressed. Why? Because Noah finally realizes, had Noah prayed before the flood, he might have prevented the flood. When God tells Noah, build an ark and go into the ark and save yourself and your family, what does Noah do? Okay, I'm in. When God tells Moses, I'm going to destroy all the Jewish people, and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to build a new nation from you, what does Moses do? Erase me from your book. He says, if you destroy them... Destroy me too. I'm the first one out. Noah didn't argue with God. Moses argued with God. Noah didn't put his life on the line. Moses puts his life. So Moses, in, in actuality, is fixing Noah. When we read the, 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 the parashah of Noah, the haftarah that week talks about May Noah. That Noah was responsible for the flood. The waters of Noah. Why was he responsible? Because he could have prevented it. Mecheni na. The words mecheni na. If we look at it. Mecheni is. You reverse the letters. It's me Noah. When Moses, when, jo, when, when Moses tells God. Mecheni na. Erase me from your book. Mecheni na. If you take the letters mecheni na. And flip them around. It says ani Noah. Moses is saying mecheni Erase me, please, from your book. Why? Because I need Noah. Last time I messed up. Now I have to fix it. I need Noah. I am fixing it now by putting my life and telling you get rid of me before you get rid of anybody else. So Noah is, so Moses is there and part of him is there to fix, to fix Noah. And again, we saw it. Teva, the ark. Teva, you put the little boy in the ark. There's another, it says, the, the, the teva came to rest. The only other time we see the word came to rest is when Moses gives from his spirituality to the 72, the 70 elders plus the two. It says, he puts upon them the spirit of Hashem. So where Noah is not willing to share, Moses is willing to share even his spirituality. He's willing to share with other people. So there you see that, that he's the... So, so going further, so you, you, you go further and you see that but that, that Chava must have been very upset because she lost her son. She didn't have a chance to be with her son. Her son, when they were born, they were born, according to the Midrash, before the sin of the, of the tree. So they were born as adults, whatever that means. But she didn't have a chance to raise Hevel because Hevel died. So, who, so God says, don't worry. You're going to come back again as Batya, and you'll have a chance to raise Hevel again, who is 
Moses, Moshe. So it keeps going. So she stretches out her arm. Now again, we see this whole idea. It says, she stretched out her arm to grab the basket. Who else stretches out her arm? Chava, Eve. When does she stretch out her arm? To take the fruit. And she stretches her arm to give the fruit to her husband. She says, Chava is the cause of the death of Adam HaRishon. She's the cause of Adam's death. She brings death to the world. So what happens now? Batya brings life by doing what? By saving Moses. Not only does she bring life, because when Moses on this day, the 6th of Sivan, received the commandments, at that moment we had the possibility, the potential to eliminate death from the world. We messed up with the golden calf. But had we done what we were supposed to do on the 6th of Sivan through Moses, Batya was the one responsible for bringing life to the world and in essence fixing her mistake that she made when she was Chava'iv. The other word, the other thing that's strange it says, she sent out Amata, her hand. Why is it her arm? Why is the word in Hebrew for hand is what? Yeah. Yada. It should have been she stretched out her hand. Why does it use the word Amata? So Amata is Aleph, Mem, Taf, Hey. So if you, you have, if you take the Mem and Tet and you take Mem, Mavet in Hebrew means death. So by stretching her hand, amata, it's exactly the same value as the word mavit, death. So by stretching her hand, she makes up for bringing the death to the world. By saving the boy. But keep going. It says that, so she corrects her previous act by doing this. Furthermore, what does she do? She finds a nurse, a Jewish nurse, to raise, to feed the baby. Why is it necessary for her to find a Jewish nurse to feed the baby? Because she doesn't want to give him something impure to eat. Why? Because when she was Chava Eve, what did she give Adam? The fruit that she shouldn't have. She should not have. So now what does she do? She does the opposite by giving him, the, the, giving him his own mother to nurse him so he should drink his milk from something pure. And therefore she brings him to his own mother and she has him nurse and she pays her to nurse the baby. Now, do you think she knew that the witness was his mother? Well, you see Miriam is standing there. Why is this little girl waiting and watching? Too coincidental. And were Jewish women... Uh, and remember, remember the movie? He had the Levite cloth, right? <laughs> remember with Charles? Were Jewish women employed as like wet nurses and servants in Pharaoh's... So, so it seems that in addition to the slavery of building, they were also forced to do domestic chores. Yeah. yeah. So now, keep going. What? So, so the, the question was, who was the midwives? The Talmud actually lists the midwives as Egyptian women who are, are giving credit. The Midrash, though, brings that the midwives were Yochevet and Miriam. But it's hard to imagine because Yochevet was older and Miriam was only five. So the, the Gemara actually says they were Egyptian women who, were, who get incredible credit. And they're listed with the same. They're listed with Batya. They're listed with... Uh, Who's the one who kills the general when she gets him to drink the milk? Yeah, all the... Yael, Yael. She listed with all of these other non-Jewish women who are heroes. So going further. So we said, we said also 
that when, when we saw that Abraham went down to Egypt. So one of the questions we always had, when Abraham goes down to Egypt, he, he tells, they tell Pharaoh that Sarah is the sister. Pharaoh ends up giving them lots and lots of money and treasure and animals and everything you can imagine. So much stuff that when they go back, the land can't even support all of the cattle they have. So the question everyone asks is why does Abraham accept it? Why doesn't he just give it back? When he wins the war against Sodom, with Sodom, he gives everything back. Why with Pharaoh does he take it? So the rabbis say that Pharaoh is the, the human incarnation of the Nachash, of the snake. So since Abraham overcame the snake, the snake was his slave, so therefore he could take from the snake. In Egypt... Pharaoh represents this incarnation of the snake. If you look at Pharaoh, what's his crown? Is the snake. He is the nachash, the negative force of the snake. So he says, he says the Zohar Chadosh says, Upar'o de'ihu de'yukna de'nachash. He says that Par'o, in fact, was the incarnation of the snake. He says this is how Par'o, over, he ruled because he had this negative force within him and he looked upon himself as a god. He says, we go further and we say, When we go back to the Garden of Eden, it says the, the snake was, uh, was sly, more sly, what's the word? Uh, more cunning than any other beast of the field. What's interesting is that, it, that, that Unclus translates it and he says the servant was chacham, was wise. When Paro speaks to his people about the Jewish people, he says, Havad let us act wisely. So he's actually, he's the snake in trying to come up with a way to act wisely against the people to destroy the Jewish people or to take away their Kiddushah. So, so now, she's now living in her father's house. She's living in this world of idolatry. And, and we, we're going to see further that Yocheved places him in the sixth of Sivan, like we said. It says that, so, so she, 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 she's, uh, she's fixing what she did with, with Adam and causing him to sin. Goes further, he says, Chazal's statement that Batya, so furthermore, now we see, the Gemara tells us that there are certain people, I think there are nine people that did not die in this world. Like Elijah the prophet went up to heaven alive. There are a number of people who go up to heaven alive, they don't go through death. One of the people who goes up to heaven alive is who? Batya. Why? Because she was responsible for death originally. Now she fixed what she did, and therefore she goes to heaven alive. Did, did, did Batya have any idea who she was? I don't, I don't think so. Now he goes one further, just one more to, to go, just to give you one. This is like dessert. So Rav Nissan Alpert is, uh, was a rabbi. He, he gave this amazing thing. He says something interesting. It says she stretched forth her hand. So he, he asks a question. He says, you know, they wrote about the Fantastic Four and Reed in 1962. You know, Reed from the Fantastic Four, he stretches out his arm. He says, so was, was, was that where they got it from? And he says, for sure, that's where they got it from because the guy who wrote about Fantastic Four was a Jewish guy who grew up with all of these stories. So how does a woman stretch her arm and it goes you know, six feet away or 12 feet away? And he says like that. So he says that, he says what, what we have to realize is when it says she stretched forth her arm, 
is she went against, she stretched forth, she went against everything of the norm, everything she should have done. She stretched beyond the norm and she challenged her own father's edict. He says, how could she be so bold? We said she went down to, to convert, so to say, or to remove her impurity. She sees the boy crying, she has pity on the boy, and then she realizes it's a Hebrew child. Now try to imagine if you're in Germany in 1944, and you're in Poland, and the Polish lady sees the Jewish kid in the basket. Most likely, she sees it and says it's a Jewish kid in the basket and gives it to the Gestapo driving by. Says, so, yes, there were definitely some who didn't. But she is the daughter of, of, Pharaoh, of Pharaoh. She's Her father's the one who made the edict. She's living in the palace. She's so going against what she should do because her immediate reaction is there's a baby in trouble. I have to help it no matter the repercussion, no matter what happens. It says that who learned from her? It says that she, she didn't calculate. She just did what she had to do. It says her son learned from her. Her son who? Moshe. How? Moses sees the Egyptian beating the Jew. What does he do? He intercedes. The question is asked that Moses, Moses realizes that these are his brothers. The Midrash tells us that the Jews were working seven days a week and Moses came up with a plan to go to Pharaoh and tell him, listen, if you give them one day off a week, they'll work, work much harder because it'll be, it'll, they'll, they'll be able to breathe, they won't die, and they'll be able to do what you want them to do. So Pharaoh said, ah, oh, good idea, pick the day. He gave them Shabbat. It says, Moses is living in the palace. Moses is able to influence Pharaoh. If he's living in the palace, shouldn't he calculate and say, let me not get involved in this one case of this guy beating that guy, and I'll do whatever good I could do, and I'll stay undercover. Yet he doesn't calculate, because you see someone in trouble, you jump to go help. The next day, two people are fighting, he jumps into help. He goes to the shepherds, when he goes to Midian, he jumps into help. Where did he learn to jump into help? He says he learned to jump to help from his mother, who went to save him, regardless of the repercussions. The interesting thing is he brings, he says that, you know what, this was really the tikkun, this is the way Batya fixed Chava. He says, how? He says, when Chava, when Eve ate from the tree, when she took from the snake to eat from the tree, she figured that, you know what, if we eat from the tree and we understand evil and we're going to be like gods, if you see the verses, then our challenge on earth will be so much greater and will be able to accomplish so much more. So she tried to justify her sin by calculation. He says that any time a person sins, they try to justify the sin through calculation. Brings, for example, Shlomo HaMelech Solomon, the king. Don't have too many wives, don't have too many horses, don't have too much money. He justifies, don't worry, it won't affect me. Anytime someone sins, they say, it won't affect me. They try to rationalize. He says that how did Batya fix Chava, Eve? By going and saving the boy without going through the whole thought process of what the repercussions could have been. She was willing to risk her life to do what she had to do. And therefore, she's the one who makes the tikkun, fixes Chava. And therefore, she's the one who goes to heaven alive. And therefore, she's the one who names Moses. And that's the name that we use for Moses. And God says, you went out of your way to save Moses, who wasn't your son. 
you will be to me like my own daughter, and gives her the name Batya. The, the rabbis tell us she married Kalev, and she had children through Kalev, who is the one who conquers the land. Not Kalev, he, she marries Yosh. No, Kalev. She marries Kalev. She has children through Kalev. And uh, just uh, tell, and why Kalev? Because Kalev, his name is Mered. Why Mered? Because he rebelled. Rebelled against who? He rebelled against the other spies. And she's married to Mered. Why? Because she rebelled against her own father in order to save the people. And that's the story of, uh, of uh, two verses. We see this woman who we don't have a name and we see all the things about her. I think it's amazing. It's amazing. And it also, you know, what, what runs through my head too is this idea of, of uh, Moses later on and even as a European, having a conscience that like that whole concept of conscience, which it's pretty early. I mean, people didn't have, con- you know, there was no con- people didn't have conscience. So this whole concept that you were talking about is like, it's like a mind blow. Especially someone growing up in a palace where everything is, you know, slave, kill it. Not kill him or her, kill it. Yeah, you know, it that's the concept living in a palace in those days. Everything was your property. There was no, no compassion. And you see he has such incredible compassion, which the rabbis give credit to her. It's really amazing, you know, that you have a convergence of these people with very, very big zuchut. I mean, Miriam became the mother of the kings, of the Messiah. Yes. Right. Kevin became mother of, of the, the priests, priests and the and the Levim. And the Levim. Right. Yeah. That's where it says. That's why they say that it's them because right. you build batim for them. Right. With, with Puha and uh, right, Shifra and Puha. And 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 so having having. Such big zechut at, at one place, you know, it's just amazing to me. I, I think one of the one of the lessons is that we, we if we put it all on the line, they put themselves completely on the line. They risk everything. They all risk everything. So did Moses grow up Jewish in the palace? So Moses Moses knew he was Jewish. She raised him to know that he was Jewish because it says that he, when he became a little older, he went out to see the suffering of his brothers. So he always knew he was Jewish. The Midrash says, so there's a Midrash that we all learn when we're little kids, that says that the advisors of Paro were nervous and telling Paro, oh, look, this boy is, he's trouble. Why? Because one day he was sitting on his lap as a three-year-old and he took the crown and he put it on his head. So they all turned to Paro and they said, this boy is going to take your crown. So, they, so what happened was Yitro, Jeth, who becomes his father-in-law later, the Midrash, you know, we use the same characters again. He's sitting there and he was an advisor to Paro. He says, let's test the boy. Put in front of him gold and put in front of him coal. Any child is going to reach out to the coal because it's shinier. Let's see what the boy does. If he takes the gold kill him. If he takes the coal, then he's just a child taking a crown and playing like any other child. So they put him on the chair and they put the two plates in front of him and says he reaches out for the gold and the angel Gabriel came and knocked his hand into the coal. He took a piece of the coal and he went because his hand is burning. What did he do? He brought it to his tongue. And therefore he had the lisp 
because he burned his tongue through the actions of Gabriel. I always wondered because Gabriel, Gabriel is the, so we have different angels with different, different aspects, right? Michael is the angel of mercy. Gabriel is the angel of, of, of deen, of judgment, of law. So it's interesting that Gabriel is the one, it's not out of mercy, it's Gabriel comes in and causes him to have this uh, speech impediment. So that's the Midrash. So the Midrash says that Paron knew he was Jewish. But he figures he was already in the Nile. He's already lost any holiness. Now he went through this test. He's just a stupid boy. Let my daughter be happy and raise her child. So I guess they would have wanted him to be a, the prince. Because, you know, you know it's interesting. The, the movie, the Cecil B. DeMille. It's interesting, you know, we make fun of the movie. But Cecil B. DeMille used all Midrashim. To write the movie. So every one of his sources, he pulls it. And, and you know, one of the Midrashim says if he had done what he was supposed to do in the house of Paro, maybe he would have been the, the, the next king, you know? Maybe Yul Brenner wouldn't have got his. Uh, his I, I, don't, I don't know. So, but, but there's no question that he knew he was Jewish. And it says he went out to see the suffering of his brothers. And that's when he sees the Egyptian beating the, the Jewish slave. And that has its own whole story which relates. To Cain and Hevel, maybe we'll do it another time. But uh, that guy that he kills is actually a reincarnation of of Cain who killed him. That's why he kills him. And uh, we could keep going. But uh, yeah, I think he knew. Anyway, thanks everybody. God willing, we'll see you next week.